0: go a trumpet in Zion, on the mountain. a trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is come. a trumpet in Zion. Amen. And welcome, everybody, back to The Remnant Call. I am your host, Brother Frank, and just glad that you're here with me. Um, I'll tell you just a quick update. Um, one thing for about last week's show, um, powerful, powerful episode by Brother Benjamin. You've got to go out and check it out um, on Zachariah uh, Part 1. And, folks, forgive my audio. I didn't realize if you're ever doing blog talk, it kicked over and started using my uh, microphone in my computer instead of my soundboard. Uh, it was inside the browser setting. So anybody out there ever doing that? Well, just make sure you don't ever take it for granted, as I found out that it always stays on your soundboard USB connection or however you're going through. But anyways, ignore that because the episode was too powerful to miss. So make sure you go and check that out. The Lord is doing something. He's calling out of people. And Brother Benjamin just spoke a, a powerful, powerful, um, powerful program. And and folks, I'll tell you right now, I am glad to be back because tonight's uh, episode it's it's a serious episode, and and I know I say that sometimes throughout there, but there, we live, we're living in serious times today. I don't know if you saw on the, the front of the Drudge Report today where the Pope said that there is no hell, and apparently they're backtracking now, and a big question mark on Drudge about that, and it's just... Folks, we are living in so much deception that's going on right now. And I know it's interesting, like in the, the news, we've seen this last week. Everybody's like, oh, the got to check out the new Roseanne show. It's going to be great. She's a conservative talking about Trump and how wonderful it is. And, well, the little thing they don't tell you until you actually start watching the show is that, well, they've got a transgender grandson uh, who's dressing like a, a girl or a cross-dresser. And they've got, you know, the one daughter's gay, but doesn't admit she's gay. But they're okay with that. And it's your body, your choice. And everything that we as believers say we do not believe in, they're trying to say this is the new normal. Look, you could be a conservative because a real conservative that supports Trump supports gay marriage, supports this kind of lifestyle, supports your body, your choice, do whatever you want with it. Folks, that's not true. Your body is a temple. And it belongs to the Lord and we're to take care of it, and we're to open it up for God to fill. And I'll tell you, folks, the more God comes into your life, the bigger He becomes in your life, the greater this shadow of His glory just is cast over you. But if if God's just very tiny in your life, if He's just a speck, then the shadow is going to be very small. But as I heard one uh, speaker say, he said, the bigger the glory, the bigger the light the greater the shadow. The bigger God is, the greater shadow he will cast. Well, I'm not going to take much time. I'm just going to open up with a word of prayer because this episode tonight, when the ground gets holy, is serious, it it is important, and I need you to listen closely as we go through this because this is the time when we, we need to put away the childish things in our lives, okay? It's time to grow up, Let's get off the milk, let's get into some meat, and let's start finding out what God actually cares about. There's a lot of people who want to justify what they're doing and justify the way they're living, but, and, and that's okay if it, if it lines up with the Word of God. But if you are taking your desires above what God says, See, the Lord says that he'll put his desires in the Psalms into our hearts. Or excuse me, he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's going to give you a Bentley or Rolls Royce. What that means is, says God, he will give you the desires. He will put the desires into your heart. But you've got to want the Lord to come in in order to have him put his desires in your heart. And tonight we're going to talk about when the ground gets holy. Let's pray, Father. In the name of Yeshua, I just ask that you would bless this episode. Father, we need you right now in a deep, deep way. Lord, we need you to come in tonight and, and, and God, forgive us for all of the sins, all of the foolishness we've done, all the things that have been distractions, Lord, that have gotten us sidetracked from the real mission because the mission is about spreading the good news and, Lord, if we're living right and we're, and, and we're following you with all of our heart, then that distraction is gone. And we now focus on the really the important thing, and that's telling people about the second coming of Jesus. So, Father, I ask tonight that this program would be yours, that you would take over that I would decrease and you would increase, so at the end of this episode, people that have listened will know that they've been in your presence, because I ask it in the name above all names, Yeshua, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, I ask it. Amen. When the ground gets holy. Folks, you've seen on the internet, you can look up and you remember the picture of the wilderness tabernacle out there in the wilderness, and and you would see the flame that was going up over it. Because remember, God was guiding them by a pillar of, of cloud by day and fire by night. And the Lord was always in the presence of, of his people. And if you looked at the, at the pictures of the tabernacle and everything, and if you read in the Word of God, once you start to begin to build this picture, you start to see that God's people were all around the tabernacle out in the wilderness. Meaning that God was in the middle of everything. He was the center of everything. Everything that they did centered around God. Okay? God walked in the camp. So when they were brushing their teeth or or whatever, you know, or they were combing their hair or whatever, the Lord was in the midst of it. Everything they did was centered around God. And it was the way it was supposed to be. But over time... The wilderness tabernacle, well, you know it, it then became into Solomon's temple and then Herod's temple and and things began to change okay it wasn't just the holy most holy place and the holy place and then the the outer court you know or the the courtyard there where where the laver and the and the and the um sacrificial altar was and 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 then you see the border going around that it wasn't just that anymore then we start to having the outer courts or the court of the gentiles uh things that they 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 added in there and and if you remember folks about the the court of the gentiles because see during herods time and, and and everything when they had the court of the gentiles that's where the the whole mixed multitude came in. You know what I mean? They 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 just kind of gathered out there in the court of the Gentiles. And, and if you remember what it says about it in Revelation eleven two, it says, "But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot foot forty and two months." See, as believers, we are to be into the inner. Court, the middle court, folks. The, anyone in Israel back in the old days, that they, if they were to keep the the commandments of God and do the things of the Lord, they kept the Passover. The Bible says in Leviticus they would be as one born of the land. You actually got to get reborn again and become a part of Israel. It was a beautiful thing. And so, as though time, though, we started to add parts on to God's temple that he actually did not command us to do. And you know how anything is when you add it on. After a while, it becomes the normal. What is the expected thing to do. And you can see they had all kinds of, of different things out there. They had the women's court, uh, the court for the priests, the court of the Gentiles. Then, you, of course, you have all the gates. Then you have the inner courts. You have the holy place, as we talked about before, and all kinds of different things going on around there. And before you know it, that is assumed that how God wants us to be, and so we kind of we kind of see the same thing in America, right? When we first started out, we were the you know these smaller churches all scattered across the country, humble people just coming seeking the Lord. You know, during the eight mid eighteen hundreds and the Great Awakening, this was a powerful moves of God going through this country. Some of the greatest preachers known uh, at the time, Finney. You know, they said there were two hundred thousand people came to the Lord through Finney. I mean, the man was so holy; entire plants shut down when he came into the presence. I mean. It was just a powerful men of God were moving back then. And then over time, while the churches, and from being those smaller, humble, God-fearing people, they started, to, they started to grow larger. And then they began to buy stadiums out. And they began to have all their own courts, and you can see the pictures of these huge churches all around the place and and then then came the entertainment and the and the smoke and the light and the, and the and the you know all the stuff going on and Before you know it, all this craziness became normal. And that's how God's church is supposed to be. It was about entertainment. It was about smoke. It was about, uh, it was about you know, the, the music going on. It was, it was about the feel good. That's how church is supposed to be. And before you know it, we've lost the idea of what it meant to worship. That means when God was in the middle of everything you did. See, we put pastors up at the front of our churches, and we make them God instead of our Lord and Savior being the head of the church. We put put a pastor in, and you say, well, I don't do that. But then when your pastor leaves, you're devastated. You don't know how to go on, or he messes up. You put the whole church on his back instead of putting the church onto Yeshua, onto Jesus. And we end up committing the exact same things we look at and say are wrong. We end up doing the exact same thing. But when you come back to the tabernacle, the way God originally designed it, and you begin to look at it, you know the gate that goes around it. And then you walk in through the gate, and there's the altar, right, with the burnt offering, the sacrificial altar, and then you you go past the the laver, you know, and and, and, and as you go past the laver, right, then you start to go into the holy place, right, and that's where the the table of showbread is, right, and the candlestick, and the altar of incense, right, and then you go into the most holy place, right, where the Ark of the Covenant goes into, and see, what, what you understand here is that God was actually, Actually using this tabernacle to show us a picture of how we come to God. See we start in right in in that outer part there. And you remember how all the different things and what they represent there, you know, as we go through. And and you see how God as as you begin because if you look in the temple right there were lots of priests back in the old days okay in the in the in the, in the temple in Jerusalem, and and there were all kinds of le- excuse me not priests Levites always out in there doing the work of the temple. But then as you begin to work your way in right, the priests from Aaron would take over. They would do the sacrifices, and then as they would come in a little bit. Closer there, right? They would they would start to 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 be a, to a different set of priests that would only go into the inner, and then only the high priest would go in to there, and so we see this picture of of the altar of you know where the sacrifice the laver the baptism right when you when you wash free and the table of showbread right we see that's where you eat the word of god right and the candlestick filled with the the spirit of the living god actually the seven spirits in the book of isaiah if you want to get a little more detailed and the altar of incense our prayers that go up before and then of course we have the ark of the covenant the mercy seat and so you begin to look at this beautiful picture of this pathway in and then you notice the savior when you start to see jesus yeshua you understand that yeshua actually came in the exact opposite way that we go in. You see, he started in the kingdom, right? With the heavenly father. You know, he asked his father to restore him to the glory that he had before he'd even came. And so he comes from the holy place from his father, you know, because the Bible says that the mercy seat is where the very footstool God puts his Feet on the mercy seat in heaven. Isn't that awesome? There's mercy right at the feet of our heavenly Father. It's a beautiful picture. So the Messiah comes from the most holy place, right? He comes down here out into the holy place, right? The altar of incense. He begins to pray. And he begins to study the word, right? You remember how Jesus at 12 years old was literally blowing the mind of scholars at his knowledge. It was so um, unbelievable. They couldn't even understand how this 12-year-old could know so much. And, and then he was filled. You remember it. He was filled with the spirit of the living God right there. And then what does he do? He goes out. And he lays his life down in the waters of baptism. You remember that? He goes out into the laver, and John the Baptist, right? He he baptizes him, and oh, man, right at the laver, just like in the picture, and when he comes up, the fullness of the Spirit, remember, comes down and shows, and like, not that Jesus wasn't already filled, but the, the symbolic sign of the Holy Spirit coming down on him through the dove was there manifest, and then he goes out into his ministry, and then ultimately he lays his life down on that sacrificial altar for us, and then they took him and they buried him outside the gate. And so here you are, you're a believer, right? You, you, the normal way we come in is we meet somebody outside the gate. They've done studies, folks, and, and I'm all for evangelism, but still the best way, they found the most effective way to bring a believer to the Lord is a one-on-one relationship. And normally we meet people outside the gate, right? Right. And so we talk to them about this Jesus, and we say, hey, listen, I want to tell you about the gate, right? There's a gate. Remember, Jesus said, I am, he's the gate, right? And, and so he is the way, and and, and so we say, yeah, yeah, you want, to, you want to partake? They say, yeah, so you bring him in through the gate. That's Jesus. And they say, you know what, I want to accept him, so, so I want to partake in this. Uh, and so they accept the sacrifice of Jesus, Right, and they say, you know what? I want to, I want to not only accept it, but I want to do what the Lord says. I want to get baptized. So you immerse them in the laver, right? And then you bring them out, and then the journey really begins. And they begin to go into, start moving into the holy place where they begin to eat the showbread, the the word of God, and they begin to pray and seek the Lord with all of their heart, and and they're filled with the Spirit in a in a bigger in a bigger way every time, and and so they, this relationship begins to build, and and so in Hebrews it's awesome because. It says this in Hebrews, it says, But Christ, Hebrews 9, 11, be- Come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So here, here the, the, the Bible says that, okay, listen, just like the priests, every year they would go into the most holy place. You remember, they would get sanctified, justified. They would get everything right in the right manner. They would even put bells on them and tie a rope around them in case they tried to sneak in you know, without being right with the Lord. But no matter what they did, no matter what they went through, there was no way that they were going to be able to get in without the blood. And there's no way we can get in without the blood. Isn't that awesome? But too often, too many times, we stop our walk with the Lord before we get in to the most holy place. You see, no matter how good, no matter how perfect, no matter how much you think you understand about the word, you're not going in without the blood. And the Lord, he's done everything. He said he's ripped open the curtain. If there's a new, a living way. Now we can come boldly, but you can't come without the blood. And so here we've come in, we're, we're seeking the Lord, and now it's time to go in and we've partaken in all this and we've accepted the blood of the Savior. And the Lord's saying, come all the way in now to the most holy place because I want you to hear the voice of the living God. And too many believers... They don't want to go all the way in. They are satisfied with living in that outer court. You see, I was raised as a um, a commandment-keeping believer. Okay, I was raised to believe I was in the remnant. Okay, and I was just doing a, a study earlier, a real quick look, uh, of how many churches believe that they are the remnant. And then, folks, oh, you wouldn't believe how many churches believe they're remnant. Now, I'm, I wasn't Jehovah's Witness or, or a Mormon or anything like that, but I was raised to believe that I was a part of the remnant because I, not only was I saved by grace, but I we my family we actually kept God's commands and that wasn't always a popular thing with everybody but but we we based our life of following the Lord and then we coupled it with revelation 12:17 and where it says I that we, um, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So I was raised to believe because we followed, we were saved by grace. We believed in the testimony of Jesus. We believed in, in all that wonderful stuff. But then because we believe, we actually do what the Lord says. And so I was raised to believe that I was in the remnant just because of what I knew. And so I learned, oh, hey, this is great, because I've learned great truths about the living God and about his character and about who he is and, and how to live right and how to care about what the Lord says and be sensitive to those things. So, But as I began to grow deeper in the Lord after I got saved and to seek out his ways of this intimate walk with God, I began understanding of what it meant to be a remnant believer. See, just coming to church every every week didn't satisfy me. Knowing I knew certain truths about the Word of God wasn't enough. I wanted to know God intimately. I wanted to hear His voice and walk like Enoch walked. And I began to search the Scriptures, and I realized some truths about the remnant. See, the remnant were not just a people who had a head knowledge, but they were a broken people. You see, I would begin to read things in the Word like this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. And so I looked here and I said, wow, what God cares about here is those who are of a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God doesn't despise. He cares about those people. And Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and deliver them out of their troubles. And in thirty four, and in verse 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such that be of a contrite spirit. And I would read these scriptures about humbling and how God truly cares about broken people and he start to wonder why does god care so much about those who are of a broken heart and a contrite spirit See, you remember 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We love to quote it in churches all the time. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And and it's a great thing, but it it starts out. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Some might say, well, Frank, if you look at the context, come on, man, that's only when God shuts up the heavens and it doesn't rain or some tragedy comes on the land. And I'm looking around folks today, and and, and you wouldn't believe the excuses people come up with to not humble themselves anymore or to fast and pray. And I'm looking around the world, and I realize that not only has a tragedy come upon the land, But we have an utter and complete moral breakdown as a society that we are so confused, we don't even see the utter brokenness of this very nation that we live in. Because now we're saying true conservatism is to be a fan of Trump, to accept homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, whatever. You feel good, you just do it, because that's the new definition of what it means to be a conservative. And it's deception, and it's falling over the people of God, and it's in the churches, and it's running rampant, and people are confused. And I'm wondering, what will it take for us to humble ourselves? And so we, as believers, we start to get pricked in our hearts. And we're like, man, this is, I I can't take this. I want something more. And so we're like, you know what? I want to start taking up this journey. I want to start moving closer to God. I want to start being like the high priest. Because the Bible says in the New Testament that we are a royal priesthood. And this burden to find something that can truly satisfy. And we start to follow that road like the priest did from the outer court into the holy place. Because just the title of being a Christian or a believer and the knowledge that comes with it. And all the glorious truths that you may think that you know from your church or your family or whatever it is within whatever you were raised to know something in your heart begins to say, I want more. I want to understand the very heart of God. And so we read about these commandment-keeping saints in Revelation, and some people I know out there, they say, well, I keep the Sabbath, therefore I'm holy, and folks, I'm all about that, okay? Listen, I'm not against that one iota, but that is not what it means to share the very heart of God When it comes to understanding what he cares about, that is good truth, but that is not the whole picture, and that's the problem we run into, and it's not only that, it's every church, every bit of believers have their thing that's supposedly why they're better than everybody else. Whether it's Sabbath keeping, whether it's uh, whether they believe in a pre-tribulation or a post-tribulation or once saved, always saved or whatever their doctrine might be. But yet knowing the very heart of God is something that's very far for many people. And so we see that. In there, and we understand that truth of what it means to be a remnant believer, but still, so often, and folks, I know I get the emails here, so many of you feel like there is something missing in your life, something that's not lining up. And, and I want to be real with you for a moment. Because I want to look at the book of Ezekiel. If you have your Bible, turn to Ezekiel chapter 9 because there's some scripture in here. I consider it some of the hardest scripture in the entire Bible to read because it is straightforward and pulls no punches. Ezekiel chapter 9. I want to see what matters to God. Is it your doctrine, which I believe is doctrine is important, on his heart? Ezekiel chapter nine verse three, and the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem. So here, the glory of God lifts up out of right out of out of God's house. Right, it's we're looking at a spiritually bankrupt place that's going on right now and so he says listen go through the midst of jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof and to the others he said in mine hearing go ye after him through the city and smite let not your eyes spare neither have ye pity Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. So God looks down on this completely, utterly backslidden people. And he says, "Listen, if you—this uh, is what I want you to do. I want you to go through the midst of the city, okay, to his angel, and I want you to mark those who are literally broken-hearted over what's going on. Mark those who sigh and cry for the abominations which are being committed. And, folks, you can apply that right to our country right now, because we are living in an utterly destitute." In a gospel-depraved, morally bankrupt society that has sacrificed the very truths of God into this unholy, ungodly living that represents anything your heart may desire. And he says, I want you to mark those that are broken, and everyone else, destroy them, all of them. Don't let your eye spare anyone. God says, if you want to know what's on my heart, see, if you want to know what I care, if you want to see the remnant, okay, it's not the perfect, it's not the best dressed people, it's not all the perfectly obedient and every single aspect believer. No, 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 God says. If you want to see those who share his heart, those who feel the pain that God feels, he says, mark those that weep over these things that are going on in this world, in this completely fallen state in their society, mark those who are utterly broken for it. Because those are the people that are sharing the very heart of God. There are, are religious people out there that look so good and claim to know so much about God but they haven't known even one night of anguish in their entire life over the state of the lost in this world. They haven't wept for a family member or a neighbor or the homeless or the drug addicts. They haven't cried out in any pain because they've got family in prison. They've got people that don't even know who the Lord is. And it's a sad shame That would people out there call themselves a part of the remnant, and yet they could care less about the lost. Being a part of the remnant is not based on your knowledge alone. It is about sharing the very heart of God. It's about sharing the Lord shares. Because when you grow closer to the Lord, when you begin to push in with Him, I mean, let's get real right now. You see, there were many priests right in the outer part, but as you got closer, there were less and less priests as you got farther in until you got all the way to the holy place where there was only one priest. And and he was the only one that could go into the most holy place. And so you start that journey of leaving the outer court and you begin to move into the holy place. And when we start to really pray at that altar of incense and we begin to truly devour the word of God like the table of showbread and we begin to fill with the Holy Spirit, we start to look around and we notice that there's not always as many people around. See, the remnant, the believers begin to thin as we begin to press in. See, as the ground gets holy, the remnant begins to thin. You see, God will begin to break us as he shares his heart with us. And we begin to see our condition for who we really are in the world around us. I remember, folks, a few episodes back when Benjamin was sharing on here, God told him, said, I'm going to show you your sin now. And Benjamin said he thought he was doing all the things right. He didn't know what the Lord was going to say. And so, you know, he thought he was doing all the things that God want wanting to do. But he said when the Lord showed him what it was, he said it was the way that he was treating other people. And he said when he saw it, he screamed because he was broken over how he would treat other people. Folks, I've done the same thing. I've missed the very things that were important to God, how I cared for others. Because I'm so tied up in my religious knowledge of what's the truth so I can be puffed up in what I know. And God is saying, listen, I cared about you and you were lost. I care about what I care about. We can walk so often in our own righteousness completely blind to the way that we treat others. And I see this world and the fallen and all the lost and so many of our, of our responses. Well, I'm thankful I'm not a sinner like these. And here we are, you know, looking up to heaven and saying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like them. And there's them and there's that task cluster, right? And he, he's beating his chest. He's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And God's saying, that's the one I care about. You and your self-righteousness, you only give money, you only pay your tithe because you've got an abundance. And here's this widow with her two mites, and that's like a billion dollars to the Lord because it came from her heart. And God is looking and asking us, don't you get it? He's broken for the lost and the sin that is in this world. Obedience without brokenness is worthless. Yeah, you might get a blessing because just obeying the commands of God will bring blessing. But if you want to share his heart, if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty, if you want to understand how the Lord feels about it and you start to press into that most holy place, God will begin to share how He feels and you will start to see people in a different light. I'm not talking about being sad all the time. Of course we have the joy of the Lord. But stick with me here, folks. There is a brokenness that goes along with believers. Jesus was broken. That movie on Matthew from the NIV that was there, remember where Jesus was laughing and smiling? That's not true. It said he was a man of sorrows because he was broken for the state of this world. One Sunday evening, William Booth was walking in London. You may remember him. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he was with his son, Bramwell, who was 12 or 13 roughly around the time. The father surprised his son by taking him into a tavern. The place was crowded with men and women. Some of them were drunk, some of them were loud, and the air was filled with the smell of alcohol and tobacco. And Bramwell said to his dad, Can we go? Why did you even bring us here? And General Booth said, Son, these are the people... These are the ones I want you to love. These are the people I want you to live for. These are the people I want you to bring to Christ. You see, God cares about the lost folks, and the remnant cares about what God cares about. That's why the remnant are a remnant, because if you want to get close to God, if you want to go into the most holy place, You're going to have to share the heart of the Lord, and his heart aches for the lost. Uh, This mighty and holy God who's coming back to do vengeance on this earth says he takes no pleasure in it. He takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He wishes that everyone would be saved. You see that high priest once a year. He even though he went through all the the religious purifications, even though he had every single commandment he kept perfectly, he did all the things right. He he did everything he wanted to do. He still couldn't go in without the blood. And here we are, Jesus. The, the Lord has torn down the heavenly Father. The 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 um, the the, the, the The um, curtain now, and he's saying, come on in, but folks, we got to go in by the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus did the same thing. He went in with his own blood, and if you want to go in, you got to go in with his blood. You see, none of our flesh, our good deeds, our self-righteousness, would we dare go in on our own. We must go in with the blood of Jesus. You see, he paid the ultimate price, the beatings and the torture and the humiliation all along, weeping for the lost. He shed tears of blood in the garden and endured the agonies of hell because he loved us. He was the ultimate remnant of the remnant. He was the only one who came by the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because He knew you were worth it. And He loved you and He wept over you and He cried tears of blood because He knew that what He was going to go through was the hardest thing anybody would ever go through. And He thought you were worth it. Yes, the road into the holy place, folks, it's often filled with less people because the fellowship of the outer court is stimulating to the flesh. But when the remnant touch the very heart of God, they never want to leave that inner and the most holy place because they finally understand the price that was paid by a God who was not willing that any should perish. So here Jesus lived his life free from sin. He did every miracle possible, obedience unparalleled, filled with wonderful truths and wisdom in the Word like no one else. Sounds a lot like what many churches teach us, right? We know more than everybody. We know the truth so much. But Jesus actually did. And He was baptized, filled without measure of the Spirit of God. He cared for the poor, and He wept for the dead. Yet even with all that, Jesus could not finish that job without one last thing. He had to lay his life down. He had to lay his life down. Are you willing to do the same thing? Are you willing to lay your life down? I'm not talking about going and killing yourself. I'm talking about are you willing... To lay down your desires for the heart of God. You see, open up your Bible again to the book of Zephaniah. And I want to share something with you in Zephaniah chapter 3. One of my most favorite places in the Word of God. Zephaniah chapter 3. Starting in verse... 17 it says the lord thy god in the midst of thee is mighty he will save he will rejoice over thee with joy he will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing can you believe that god actually sings isn't that awesome god actually sings isn't that awesome He says "You will rejoice over us with singing. And you look at it and you say, man, I can't believe that. But it's why is he singing that I want to know? What is making our heavenly Father sing? Verse 18. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. So God says, look. You want to know why I'm singing? Because I found a group of people. The the reproach of this world was such a burden unto them that they had gathered themselves together in a solemn assembly, and they are broken, and God says, I see them. Those are the people that are causing my heart to sing. Because they care about what God cares about. They couldn't take it anymore. They said, enough of this world. I can't take it. We're getting together in a solemn assembly, and we're going to pray, and we're going to fast, and we're going to seek the Lord's heart until he comes here. God says, I'm singing over it. I'm singing. Can you imagine God singing a song for you? And here you've been, been going your whole life wondering, where is the Lord? And God saying he's just wanting to share his heart with you. Because he cares for the broken. He cares for the things that are going on in this world. So often you only see what's going on in your life. And God said, hold on a minute, look around you. God wants you to be useful because there's a world of lost believers out there to save. Who wants to go into the kingdom by themselves? The Lord is singing over them. Because they are broken and they've gathered together in a solemn assembly. So here you are. You've known the truths of the word. You've tried to obey several times only to find yourself failing. Maybe you've called yourself a remnant believer. Or maybe you just wanted to be in the remnant but you feel something. He's like, man, Brother Frank, I feel like God's calling me deeper. I just seem to get so stuck, and God's standing there at the edge, and you feel the tug. He's like, come on, man. Come on. I want to get in there. Open that door. Let me in deep in your heart. It feels painful to let God deal sometimes with those deep sins, those deep uh, hidden things we don't want to do, but truth, the truth is, folks, You think it's painful to let the Lord deal with it when the reality is it's painful because you won't let him deal with it. You already got the pain. The only thing the Lord wants to do is get down there and pull it out. And we get under this deception that we're so afraid to let the Lord deepen our heart because our sins have been hidden and we're so ashamed. And if we let him in there, it hurts too bad when the truth is the pain's there. It's not going away. And God's just wanting to rip it out. The Lord is wanting to set you free. And he's just asking if you're willing to lay it down for him. And in return, he's going to share his heart with you. So you feel the same passion and brokenness of this world. And you'll begin to see others not just as rotten sinners, but as lost souls in need of a Savior. And when God uses you to pray in that person or to be an instrument in leading that person to Him, you will weep with joy unparalleled when you see them come to the cross of the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. When you see somebody go down in the waters of baptism, when you see someone come and give their lives over, folks, you will experience joy unparalleled. It's not about us. It's about him. And you need to find out what he cares about. And I'm here to tell you he cares about the lost. What are you waiting for? Let the ground, folks, get holy and watch the Lord change your life like you have never seen. Because when the ground gets holy, yes, the remnant begin to weep, but joy is coming in the morning. Hallelujah. Because God is going to do something in your life. Folks, God wants to make a difference. And all he needs is somebody that's willing to open up. You want to be a part of the remnant? You need to find out what God cares about. And oh yes, folks, he does care about obedience. I don't ever want to minimize that. But I'm telling you right now, when you're broken, the Lord's broken about, you won't have to worry about obedience. When I'm over in the mission field and I'm up in the mountains of Africa and I'm tired and I'm going up and down and I'm praying with people all day and the Lord is moving and working and I see him, I never worry about obedience because I'm doing what my Heavenly Father wants me to do. And then I have to pray and my heart sees the brokenness and I feel the brokenness and when I'm in that mode over there, I, just, I never worry about disobeying. Because I am walking in what he's called me to do. You can do the same. God is calling us now to get serious and to get right with him. This is the day and this is the hour that we put away the childish things and we begin to seek the Lord. Folks, you know the answer. Brother Frank, I've been struggling with sin too long. Okay, what's your struggle? computers, okay, stop, put them down, find an accountability partner. There's software in there that can watch and monitor around friends. You can share that. Your technology, okay, all of that can be dealt with. Maybe it's lusting after other women. Maybe whatever, maybe it's uh, talking about people behind the back. Folks, I understand there's all those things, but the key to getting free from that is to get into the word. Get on your knees and get into what the Lord cares about, and that's alone time with Him. You will overcome because you'll be with God and He will be doing the overcoming for you. Quit fighting, you're losing battle. Quit it. Quit trying to resist in your own strength. You resist by contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That is your protection. Seeking God with all of your heart. And he will fight for you. He will fight for you. And then you get close and he will begin to share. You don't have to fake it. If you're not feeling it, just tell the Lord. And just keep praying he will bring it. When he's ready. Your job. Is to seek the kingdom with everything you got, and his job is to add everything else unto you. Amen. Folks, I want to encourage you. Sometimes the walk and the remnant it's lonely. But it's not. Because the Lord's there the whole way. And just when you think you don't see anyone else around, the Lord's like, I don't forget, I got seven thousand others that haven't bowed the knee to Baal yet. The Lord has a remnant all over this world. And He's just looking for those who care about what He cares about. Be about your father's business. Watch what his son did. He came when we didn't even deserve it. And he wept and he cried because he thought you were worth it. That's the God we serve. Folks, keep looking up. Keep pressing in. Start to seek the Lord like you never have before. Begin to fast and pray. Keep praying for the solemn assembly. Folks, it, it doesn't matter if you can't get to one. God can have one. You and a couple friends. There's, there's people. You're not the only one. Just start seeking God. And let Him do the work. This is Brother Frank saying to each one of you, God bless you. Keep looking up. The Lord's coming soon. The days are getting dark, but God has got His wings over His remnant. And you don't have to be anybody special in the world's eyes because you're already special in His eyes. If he was willing to lay down his life for a bunch of dirty, rotten, filthy sinners, raise your hand because that's each one of us. And now he's asking that we will press in, follow what he says to do, and let him share his heart with us for the lost. It's Brother Frank with the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom. I'm